So as we've talked some already and mentioned a few times that this is the first Sunday in Lent. And for the season of Lent, we're going to be working through Jesus' last sermon to his disciples, or at least his last sermon before his cross, before he was crucified. It's here in the upper room uh, in John's Gospel. And we're going to be working through this. And then we begin here where Jesus begins with, with washing the disciples' feet. And it's pretty amazing to me that Jesus does this. Here's God washing the feet of people. Here's the Savior serving others. No matter how many times I hear it, and actually the more times I hear it, the more astounding it is to me. I mean, while they were eating this meal, Jesus stands up and takes off, sets aside his outer robe, takes a towel, wraps it around him, a lot like a servant would or a slave, pours water into a basin, and begins washing their feet. God, who set aside his throne to come down and to, to live among us. God, who takes up our, our humanity completely, knowing what it means to suffer and to have pain and sorrow. The God who poured the water into the oceans, pours water into a basin to wash our feet. It's the height of paradox. When you think about it, it just the two just don't go together. God washing feet is dizzying this paradox, the irony of this. And actually, as I was reading, there is no other case in, in written history, in ancient history or anywhere, of, of a servant, or excuse me, of a, of a higher person or a, a master or a lord washing the feet of someone below them. Scholars have looked through all the ancient writings. There's nothing like this. It seems that Jesus is the first to have done this, the first great to become the least to wash the feet of his disciples. But what would send God, what would drive God to this length? What would drive Jesus to this depth to do such a thing? Jesus talks about it. He says that my hour has come. This hour, this hour of the cross. As you, maybe some of you have already read through John a few times. John talks a lot about his hour, Jesus' hour, and talks about the cross. That his hour had come. It's time for him to leave this world and go back or return to his father. Having loved those who were his own, who were in the world. I want to focus on that part, having loved them. Because right now Jesus is getting ready to wash disciples' feet. Even Judas is scared. Even Judas, the betrayer. Even his feet. Knowing full well what he's about to do. Even Peter knowing full well that Peter was going to deny him. And yet he still washes his feet. See, God loves. It's amazing when you start thinking about the extent to which God has loved us. John talks about it, said he loved them completely. The, word, the Greek word here is telos, or um, having this multiple meanings. One meaning the end, or completely, to the very finish, to the very end of it. Sometimes it means, uh, people have understood it as meaning perfectly. He's loved them perfectly. Completely, right to the very end. To this very end, to this very hour that he's facing, the cross. See, it's interesting, like we, I, mean, I know I talk a lot about God's love. I think it's one of the most powerful things in the Christian walk, is how deeply God loves us. So I'm sure you, <laughs> okay, Jason, we get it, God loves us. But I think it's important that we keep hearing it. You see, in John's Gospel, John mentions love six times. 
in the first 12 chapters. Six times. In these next four chapters, chapter 13 to 17, John speaks of love or remembers Jesus speaking of love 31 times. <laughs> this next, this sermon that Jesus preaches to his disciples is just filled with his love. It just comes out of him. When he's finally here, these last few moments, these last few hours before his great hour, he's here with his disciples and he speaks with them about how deeply he loves them. This is what causes God to go to this extent. This is what drives Jesus to the depth of saving us. Even washing feet is his love for us. But the interesting thing for me, the interesting thing is that following Christ so often means following him down. As he bends down to wash feet, so we follow him down to serve others. There's this following down before there is a rising up. See, I think as I hear this, and many scholars were, as I was reading through commentaries and stuff, they were making a similar connection about the thing that Paul talked with the Philippian church, to those Christians in Philippians, or in Philippi. He talked with them about that Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grabbed at or to snatch at. But he made himself nothing. He, in Greek, it actually says he emptied himself, became nothing, took on the very nature of a servant like a slave, and became human. And being found in appearance as a person, as a human, he humbled himself and became obedient. Obedient even to, this, even to the point of dying for us, to the cross. See, there's this interesting part of, Christian, of the Christian walk. It's this idea of downward mobility. You know, we live in a culture where everybody focuses on upward mobility, ability to make things life easier and better, but there's this part about following Jesus, this part about following him down, downward mobility, that includes things like humility, sacrifice, service. As I read this text, it challenges any sort of triumphalism that we might have. Triumphalism, that, uh, that reality that, we, that there is victory in Christ. He has set us free. There is healing in God. But sometimes we go too far with that. This text reminds us that there is downward mobility too. There's sacrifice. There's suffering for the sake of the gospel. That following Jesus is not just about health and wealth and apple pie. That following him, sometimes we follow him down. I think about this too and I think about how we follow him down so that we might rise up. Jesus talked about this. He says, whoever loses their life will find it. There's this obedience of following God when it's hard. Following him when it's difficult. Obediently. When people persecute us, make fun of us, get angry with us, and yet still we continue to follow him. As I was looking at this text, I was reminded again that there is no rising without first descending. That Jesus first came down before he went back up into heaven. That crucifixion comes before resurrection. Good Friday always comes before Easter Sunday. 
There's this obedience in following God. I say this to challenge our pride. I say this to challenge our sense of dignity. Sometimes we put so much on our dignity that we, we refuse to follow Christ down. Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I believe you're my Savior, but I'm not going to go to that level. I'm not going to, I'm not going to humble myself to that level. I'm not going to serve that person because they're still below me. I'm not going to serve that person because they're, they're the wrong kind of person, Jesus. Don't you just see this? Following Christ is this downward mobility of serving those who no one else will. I say this to challenge our sense of dignity, but also I say this to cultivate our humility that we become humble like Christ. That we would sacrifice ourselves for others, give up things and our, our priorities for the sake of others. It's pretty amazing what Jesus does here. I mean, just Jesus taking off his robe, wrapping a towel around him like a slave and start washing feet. It still astounds me. It turns my world upside down every time I start thinking about it. So it's not surprising to me that Peter doesn't get it. You know, Peter, I mean, he has this reputation. As you read through the Gospels enough time, you'll see that oftentimes Peter uh, starts talking before his brain can catch up. If you were, uh, you know that saying, it's uh, ready, shoot, aim. That seems to describe Peter. But you know, sometimes I can't help but think, you know, I, I wonder, Peter, maybe if you're just actually saying out loud what everybody else is thinking. When Jesus comes to Peter to wash his feet, Peter says, Lord, you're going to wash my feet? Now, in the English, we get a pretty, pretty standard version. It makes pretty good sense. But in the Greek, it's actually really broken. It says, Lord, you, my, you're going to wash feet? I mean, it's, it's crazy. In Greek, there's it's different sentence structure. But anyways, I think maybe that Peter is stammering over his words here. He is flabbergasted that Jesus would do this. He is amazed that this Lord that he's been following, who he's realized is the Son of God, is going to wash his feet. And Jesus looks to him and graciously says, you don't understand it now, but you will understand after these things. Now I think maybe he's starting to understand that you will understand after I wash your feet what I'm doing here, but I have a hunch he's talking about something bigger than this that after these things is probably, at least in my mind, also referring to the cross. That after you see me crucified, died, and buried, that after you see me again risen, this foot-washing thing will start to make sense to you. You'll begin to see what I've come to do. You'll begin to understand what I've meant to do all along. Trouble is, Peter still doesn't get it. He says, no, you will never wash my feet, not ever. And we have to stop here, because, Peter, what are you doing? Do you realize who you're talking to? Like, what's happened here? Why is Peter so adamant about not washing his feet? Well, I was thinking about this, and I, I can't help but wonder, maybe it's that Peter is embarrassed. 
I mean, some of you, maybe you know what I'm talking about. When someone does something amazing for you, they give you this amazing gift, and your first response is, oh, no, I p- couldn't possibly. No, please, you're, I, I, can't, I can't accept it. I, I'm, I mean, and the subtext being there, I was, I'm, I'm embarrassed to even, even receive something this amazing. Or maybe it's actually shame in a different direction in terms of insult. What are you saying, Jesus? Are you saying that I'm not clean enough for you? How we do this at times, too, because of, our, because of our shame. We turn even gifts of people and we receive them as that they're trying to insult us. Jesus, are you trying to make a joke of me by washing my feet in front of everybody? It's this sinister thing that happens with our shame. The shame that we wrestle with, the ways that it keeps us from receiving even good gifts from God. Or maybe Peter's embarrassed for Jesus. Come on, Jesus, you are the Son of God. You are the Christ, the Mashiach. You're supposed to be different. You're not supposed to wash feet. What if somebody found out that you did this? This is just embarrassing. Or maybe Peter's embarrassed for himself. If Jesus does this, and he's the guy that I'm following, what does this say about me? Think about that for a second. This is the Jesus that we follow. And he washes feet of his disciples. What does that say about us? I think the only thing worse for me in this passage would be, only thing worse than being too proud to receive the foot washing would be if you loathed yourself so much that you couldn't receive it, that you didn't think you deserved it. It's interesting, sometimes people say, you know, I I don't need this grace thing because I can do it on my own. Sometimes people go completely the other direction. They say, I am too, Jesus, you you just don't know. You don't know what I've done or what I've been through. I am too far gone. Your grace may be sufficient for everybody else, but trust me, it's not enough for me. It's interesting because this is just another sort of pride. Saying, God, I actually, you know, I know you're God, but I actually know this I know a little bit more than you do here. You can't save me. As I see Jesus washing his disciples' feet, I can't help but encourage us as a church to, one, to set down our pride. As Jesus set down his robe, set down our pride, set down our self-loathing, and just as Jesus took on that towel that we take on grace, that we wrap grace around us, that we receive what God has done. That we receive what Jesus has done. So Peter, so Peter says this to Jesus, and Jesus replies to him, again, graciously. And he says, if I do not clean you, then you have no part with me. You can't have anything with me if you don't let me clean you. I hear him saying, Peter, let your guard down. You don't have to protect yourself with me. You can trust me. You can trust your life to me. But you have to trust me. You have to let me wash you that you can be clean. <laughs> and here, Peter, <laughs> one minute he's over here, the next minute he's over here, and he says, oh, if that's what it is, Jesus, then wash everything, my hands and my head and my feet, everything. And Jesus, again, graciously, I think he says, Peter, you're still not quite getting it. 
See, I'm going to wash you on my terms. Those who have been washed, it's not necessary except for their feet to be cleaned because you are completely clean. Peter, I clean you. I hear Jesus speaking this to us as well. That on the cross, we are made clean. That we don't have to keep earning our cleanliness. I mean, it's true, we need to come to Christ and we need to repent again, but we have been made clean once and for all. By what Jesus has done on the cross. By by this amazing thing that he did, we've been made clean once and for all. It is finished. We don't need to wash our hands and our head. We just receive Jesus, the cleansing that he's given us. And it's finished. So this is heavy stuff. When we start thinking about what was going on with Peter, it's heavy stuff. It's no wonder that Peter didn't get it. It's no wonder that still 2,000 years later, we, as followers of Jesus, are still wrestling with these very things. Wrestling with our shame, with our embarrassment, with our pride. It's interesting, Martin Luther talks about it. He said that, oftentimes, it's more our pride than our sin that keeps us from faith in Jesus. It's more our sense of righteousness and what's right that keeps us from God than it is our sin. Well, Jesus does this amazing thing. It's this powerful portrayal of the gospel matched in words and action at the very same time, the two put together. Jesus, after he's washed their feet, he puts his robe back on and he reclines at the table again. And he asks them, do you understand what I've done for you? This question takes my breath away. Do you understand what I have done for you? Do you understand the depth I've gone to? Do you understand the sacrifice that I have made? Do you understand the beauty of what God has done to reconcile you to himself? I've been following Jesus for a few years now. Dumping my life into understanding who he is. And I can tell you, honestly, I feel like I've only scratched the surface of answering that question. Do you understand what I've done for you? But again, graciously, Jesus helps us out. He says, you call me Lord and Teacher. And you're right to do this because I, I am, using the words that that the Father God uses when he describes himself to, to Moses. He says, I, I am. I am Lord and your teacher. He says, just as I've done these things to you, I've been, I've been an example. I am an example to you now of how to treat each other. Do this for each other. Serve each other. See, this is the thing, is faith in Jesus, following him, it's an active thing. It's a way of life. Notice Jesus doesn't say, think what I think. Notice he doesn't say, agree with what I agree with. Make your theology my theology. 
No, he says, do what I do. Follow me. It's not just about philosophies and theology. Faith is a way of living. It's a way of following him. So it's no wonder that Jesus says, amen and amen. A slave is not greater than their master, nor is the messenger greater than the one who has sent them. You who follow Christ, we who follow Jesus, we can expect to follow him down. To follow him down this downward mobility. And then here you actually get a blessing. You get one of the Beatitudes from John's Gospel. We're used to the Beatitudes of Matthew's Gospel, if you remember, on the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, Blessed are you, or blessed are those. Well, here, we get another blessing. He says, Blessed are you when you do these things. Blessed are you when you do what Jesus did, when you serve each other, when you serve others, especially people that many people think, like, why are you even wasting your time with them? Blessed are you when you do these things. It's amazing to me what Jesus does. And as powerful as it is, this example that he gives us, I also think he's giving us a glimpse of what he's about to do on the cross. See, just as Jesus stood up from the supper, so he was lifted up on a cross and crucified. Just as he took off his robe, he also, excuse me, as he set down his robe, set it aside, so he set aside his power. His power as a son of God to, to stop everything that was happening, to get himself off the cross, to, to destroy everything, and take over the world. Despite that, having that power, he still hung there on a cross. And while he took up a towel and wrapped it around himself to wash the disciples' feet, in the same way he took up a cross and carried it. He bore his cross, wrapped it around him. God died so that we might have life. Do you hear that? The living God died and rose again so that we might have life. It's amazing what he's done. It still astounds me. It takes my breath away. Jesus, thankfully, he begins to explain some to us what he's done here on this cross. What he's done here in, in washing the disciples' feet. I pray this morning, I pray that, that you are stunned. I pray this morning that you are as shocked as I am that the living God, that the Lord, the Savior, has washed the feet of his disciples. I pray that it takes your breath away like it's taken mine away. I pray that you see Jesus again standing up and taking off his robe and putting a towel around him and washing feet and I pray that it turns your world upside down. I pray that it challenges you to follow Jesus down, to descend with him into discipleship into things like humility and service and sacrifice. I pray that you see Peter's mistake and that we repent of our own, that we ask God for forgiveness for our pride, for our embarrassment, for our shame that keeps us from him. And I pray that you see what Jesus has done, this powerful example of the gospel, that he's an example who shows us what to do 
But also, he's given us this glimpse of the cross. That when we begin to realize what he's done here on this cross, this crucifixion, this death and resurrection, that it works joy in us, that it works gratitude in us, gratefulness for what he's done, this life that he gives us, this relationship with God that he gives us, that it works faithfulness in us, faithfulness, following him faithfully, devoting our lives again to him. This season, or this Sunday begins the season of Lent for us. The season of prayer. Of following Jesus down into discipleship. Descending into faithfulness. Amen.